0: Summer's here, I'm for that. Got my rubber sandals, got my straw hat, got my cold beer. Man, I'm glad that it's here. So sang a singer in the 1980s, a time that some of us think of as the good old days, but uh, some of the teens we just had on stage think of as the dawn of time. But James Taylor was that singer, and he shared a few things about summer, and the song goes on, and anyway, we'll, we'll stick with that. But he talks about summer, and here we are on the cusp of summer, as we've, we've heard a little bit about, I think, already today. And he shared some things that he liked about summer. Uh, and if you, of course, go online to Google, which we all do from time to time, I suppose, you can search for best things about summer. Here's a few things from one list that I found. Super long days, summer thunderstorms, I'm not sure if that would be on my list, ice cream, ice cream, you scream, patios with cozy lights, fresh fruit and veggies, outdoor everything, napping in a hammock, please don't nap quite yet, camping and bonfire. That's what some people think of when they think about summer. You may be thinking, what do I think about when I think of summer? But since we're here today on a commanded assembly, God has has commanded us to be here, so it'd be better to ask, or appropriate to ask, what does God think about summer? Now maybe that seems like a strange question. Uh, I confess I've never really thought about that until I started preparing this message. But what does God think about summer? Does he even think about it at all? Does he think about ice cream? Does he think about sleeping in a hammock? Does he think about cold beer and cozy patio lights? Well, while I think he's okay with those things in moderation as we always say, I have a belief that if all those things about summer, he'd be probably most interested in fruits and dare I say, vegetables. And we'll get to that as we go forward. We're going to begin, and this actually will re- reference and touch on something that Mr. Coburnott talked about last week. At least I think it was last week. That seems like 25 years ago, but Chris is smiling, so perhaps it was last week. Last week. So let's look at summer briefly. If you would turn to the Book of Psalms, chapter 74. Psalm 74. We find a very simple statement. Verse 17, Psalm 74, you have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. So perhaps we don't think much about it, as I said earlier, but God made summer for a reason. We know God is brilliant. He's listening to this right now, looking at all of us assembled here today. And he, it says, made summer. What else did he have to say about summer? If you would turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 8, verse 20, We'll read a couple more verses that give us a little bit more of an idea of summer in God's view. Verse 20, we read the following. No, Noah then built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal every clean bird. He offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination, so despite what man is like, Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. In verse 22, we kind of get to the heart of the matter. While the earth remains, a key statement, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. So summer, seed time as well, harvest, as we read here, will be with us as long as this earth remains. Now we know that there's going to be a new heaven, and a new earth, but clearly we see here that this is going to be part of God's plan, part of what he's doing here on earth with man for years, as long as we are here on this earth. So summer was created by God and he tells us as i said it will be with us for many years. Let's reference that scripture. Let's turn to that scripture. I should say Mr. Coburnot shared with us last week, Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So We, as well as learning from God's Word, which we do when we come here on the Sabbath, and of course, as you read your own Bible during the week, we, besides reading the Word, we can learn from God by the things that are made. I see at least one engineer out in the audience today who knows all about making things, building things, designing things. Well, God is a master engineer, He's a master builder, and it says right here that we should understand things about Him by what He has made. So let's take a bit of time here today to do just that. And as I said, we're going to look at one unique element, or I should say one element, of God's summertime. It won't be sandals, it won't be straw hats, won't be ice cream, and no, it will not be cold beer, sorry. It will be fruit. So let's look at fruit. We're going to start off looking at the physical aspect of fruit, and then we're going to, of course, as you might imagine, turn to the issue of spiritual fruit. Let's turn to another scripture, uh, again, to the front of your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. Get a little bit more background. We've learned a little bit about summer. And I realize some of this is kind of basic, but again, I also think that we don't really probably think too much about this and how God uses this as he works with mankind. Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. Verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This word good means it all fit together beautifully well. It was, as we might say, of course, in reference to God, perfect. This was God's design, and, of course, that fruit was meant for a purpose. Let's drop then down to another verse, which kind of builds on this thought, also in the book of Genesis. Turn to the book of Genesis, if you're not, well, I guess you're already there. Genesis chapter 2. In verse 8, we read the following. The Lord God planted a garden. I remember the people upstairs, sorry. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So here we go again. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So back to verse 16, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Again, God creates trees, he creates fruit trees, he creates uh, vegetables, etc., for us to sustain our life. And as we think about that, as common as that is, and frankly, as much for granted, I would imagine we all take that, uh, I think it bears, uh, proof that we should take some time to really stop and think about it and ask ourselves how much do we think about it and how thankful if at all are we for those things that God created for us let's take then a break and, and think about this in that context expanding it just a bit fruit when we think about fruit what lessons can we learn from it well here's a simple one fruit should remind us of God's love for mankind There was an article that was published in cbsnews.com a while back in which they wrote about a study that had been done by the Imperial College of London. This was quite a study. Uh, The scientists there analyzed 95 studies on fruit and vegetable intake. didn't know you were going to get a class on vegetables and fruit today, sorry, but uh, apparently you will at the beginning. Uh, This analysis included 2 million people from populations around the world and assessed up to 43,000 cases of heart disease, 47,000 cases of stroke, 81,000 cases of cardiovascular disease, 112,000, 112,000 cancer cases, better slow down for Mr. Avila's, and 94,000 deaths. So what did they conclude from this? Well, the conclusion was as following: follows. Eating 10, not one, sorry guys, eating 10 portions of fruit and vegetables per day was tied to a 24% reduction or risk in heart disease, a 13% reduced risk of stroke, a 28% reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, a 13% reduced risk of cancer, or a 31% reduction in premature death. Now we can roll through those numbers, we can say I know all that, and we kind of do, but do we ever really think about it? Do we meditate on it? Do we stop and think what a wonderful thing God has done for us, and do we really appreciate appreciate the engineering and the design went into that and if we pick up that piece of fruit as we grab the, uh, the fruit ball in the kitchen and look at that and think wow this is a wondrous amazing fantastic beneficial thing So with all that fruit information before you let's take a little bit of a break I'm going to do a little bit of a public service announcement at this point and then we're going to do a survey okay because there is some contention around what is a fruit, And what is a vegetable? I know this is keeping many of you up at night. So we're going to address that now. We're going to go to the highest court in the land, in fact, to get some clarity on this. So let me ask you all a question. If you don't mind participating, you can raise your hand. So answer this question if you think this is true. Do you think, raise your hand, please, that tomatoes, cucumbers, squashes, beans, and peas are vegetables? Do you think those are vegetables? Raise your hand. Raise them high. Be proud if you think you're in the vegetable crowd. Do you think they're vegetables? Okay, a few hands up, okay. Do you think that tomatoes, cucumbers, squashes, beans, and peas are fruit? Raise your hand. Okay, we got a learned crowd, or at least we have a bunch of botanists in the crowd with us today. So the answer is, well, it depends on what it is you're talking about. Because scientifically, the botanist would say that all of those are vegetable, I'm sorry, all of those are fruit, right? But as the Supreme Court case in 93, 1893, that is. Supreme Court Justice Horace Gray says, you might want to take notes if you have a pen and paper, botanically speaking, tomatoes are the fruit of a vine, just as our cucumbers, squashes, beans, and peas, wrote Justice Horace Gray in his 1893 opinion. But in the common language of the people, I guess that's us, whether sellers or consumers of provisions, these are all vegetables. So I guess the answer is, you're all right. For the first time ever, we're all right. Now, let's move on, and we're going we're to get to a little bit more spiritual things, and I do think this is spiritual if we think about it, the creator who made it. But let's talk a little bit more about fruit, just a little bit more before we move on from there. So, according to the website, which many of you uh, visit on a regular basis, fruitsinfo.com, there are over 2,000 types of fruit, of which the Western world only uses about 10%. So, today, as a public service, I'm going to read all 2,000 Fruits. Well, no, I'm not. But I'm going for the bees banana, berry, bayberry, blueberry, blackberry, boysenberry, bearberry, bilberry, barberry, buffalo berry, black cherry, beech plum, black raspberry, black apple. Here's what I should have looked up. Blue tongue, bowlwara, whatever that is. Vertican plum. Well, that's enough. There's another 25 or so just in the bees. Now, with that said, I'm going to switch to our slide program if I can get it to power up here. Let's see. There we go. Now for the kids in the audience, or the kids at heart, I looked up some of the more unusual fruits, thought you might find this interesting. Here's one that struck my eye I'd never heard of before. It's the ice cream bean. Anybody ever had an ice cream bean? Maybe, but I don't see anybody. So what is the deal with the ice cream bean? Believe it or not, it tastes like vanilla ice cream. you will want to spit out the seeds which you can see are in the midst of it. It looks a little bit like a small banana with little segments of a banana in it. So there's the ice cream bean, and then there is the ugly fruit. Maybe, I know some folks here have been to Jamaica, technically it's actually the Jamaican tangelo, but apparently the brand name is ugly fruit, so maybe you'd like some ugly fruit at some point in time. Here's an interesting one, dead man's fingers. Now, there's some confusion around this because there are actually dead man fingers, mushrooms, seaweed, and these bean things. So there's, you know, be careful what it is that you eat. But again, the kids, I thought you might find this interesting. Whoops, I went too far. And then we have the pig face, another lovely fruit. This one, I believe, well, actually, I think along the coastline, as I recall the story. So pig face. And then we have the lily pilly. So. Some unusual fruits that perhaps you never have heard of, all apparently are edible and uh, have a value to us. But as we close the section on fruit, and I know all of you are like, oh, please stop talking about fruit, I'm almost done. So in the United States, probably the summeriest of fruit, that's the word I just invented, is the watermelon. So let's give the watermelons its due. It's a highly nutritious summer favorite, abundant source of antioxidants, vitamins A, C, beta-carotene, lacopene. Potassium, magnesium, and Mr. Burnett a moment ago was talking about being hydrated. Well, if you're going to be hydrated, you're going to need some watermelon because it's high in water potassium. It can help hydrate you and replenish your electrolytes after a workout. So I think we've covered fruit more than you ever wish to cover it in your life. But as we wrap it up, uh, a little joking there as we talk about it, but in all seriousness, it is creation of God Almighty. It was made to sustain man. It is good for us as we learned. And you might ask yourself, and this is a confession of a former fruit hater. I was a young man at a young age. I was told to take an apple in my lunch bag to lunch, to school, which I did. But because I didn't want to eat the apple, I left it in my desk for about mm, a month. And as you might imagine, about a month then, the fruit began to show itself in a different way. some of us are not necessarily uh, necessarily gravitating to fruit and or vegetables, uh, beans, whatever you want to call it. But if we think about it, it really is something designed by God for our benefit. And perhaps, because we are physical, we need to give it a bit more thought than we've been given in the past. It's a way, frankly, of respecting God and his creation. So enough about physical fruit, let's move on to a bit more weightier matter and that is spiritual fruit. We just finished, of course, a couple weeks ago. It's barely in the rearview mirror, but the idea that we talked about on Pentecost was it was also the feast of first fruit. So this is a common theme that runs throughout the Bible. And so as we go forward, we're gonna look at the need for Christians to produce fruit and the need for us to abide, the how, if you will, that's the what, the producing of the fruit, but the how is by abiding in Jesus Christ. So how does this work? What's that all about? Well, if you would turn to the book of John, chapter 15. We have a fantastic, all all of Scripture is fantastic and wonderful, but this section has always struck me personally. Uh, Some of the detail that Jesus Christ provides for us in this set of verses. John 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus Christ says, I am the true vine. So we're talking about grapes, more fruit. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So let's just stop and think and look at this picture early on. Christ is comparing himself to a grapevine. And he's bringing into the story the fact that God the Father is the vine dresser. I'm sure that some of you at at some point in time maybe meditated a bit on this idea, but I find it a very encouraging and um, interesting fact that that God decided to use these pictures, these metaphors to describe what's going on right now that we are, you know, in this case Christ is a vine, providing support as we'll find to these branches, that's us, and that God the Father is actively involved in this whole uh, uh, viticulture, I think is the technical term, as a vine dresser. So there's a lot going on and as we see here today, every one of us are those branches and so this is taking place in our lives. So let's continue, I think I stopped in verse three, let's pick it up there. You are already clean, he says, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, that's a key phrase, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. There we go. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Verse six, gets a little more serious here, if you will if anyone does not abide in me, is cast, cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burnt. So that's obviously a, a serious sobering set of verses or verse, I should say. If the branch does not produce fruit, well, it's not going to be kept around for long. Verse 7, if you abide in me, there we go again with that phrase, and my words abide in you, you will be Uh, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Here's a promise uh, as a uh, reward, if you will, if we do abide in him. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So we've just read eight verses uh, here in chapter 15 of John, and in those eight verses we have six references, if I can count. I'm pretty close at least. Six references to bearing fruit and seven references to abiding in Jesus Christ. So a lot of information in a very short period of time, but clearly the repetition, uh, the, the emphasis is telling us that this is very important. So how do we do that? I talked about the, the why is bearing that fruit. That's what we're supposed to do, but how are we gonna do it? Well, we have to abide in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Well, if you look at the, the Greek, it means to remain in or to stay. There's, a, there's a, a kind of expansion of that. It says tarry as a guest. So we are to tarry, if we're to use that phrase, tarry as a guest in Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment, bring up the next slide. Hopefully. Advance. I looked a bit to try to find a, a, a picture of a grapevine I thought captured the elements of it or the, the structure of it, and I think that does it justice. You can see I have to be careful not to, I think there's a fence post in there, but you can see that the main trunk, if you will, the main vine, which of course is the analogy that Jesus Christ is giving, and you can see the smaller branches up above from which the grape, the fruit is suspended. So this, if you want to have a picture of what Jesus Christ is talking about, that gives us that picture. And as you think about it, it's quite obvious, it's one physical entity. Everything is connected. They're not things laying separate, apart from one another, on the ground. Which brings up the point, are we separate, pieces of whatever, Uh, separate entities laying on the ground or are we connected are we abiding in Jesus Christ let's explore that a little bit further what does it mean to be in something if you're in the army you're in trouble you're in love you're in quicksand well how would you describe that well you're surrounded by it you're enclosed by it you're certainly as we look at the picture of the grapevine which is our example for today you are literally connected to it a union has taken, taken place, and you're receiving life from that vine. Are we receiving life from Jesus Christ right now? Have we separated ourselves in any way from that connection? Well, again, to produce that fruit, we need to be connected. So let's look at three scripture, the scriptures that give us a bit more insight into that process or how that works. If you would turn to the book of Galatians chapter two, we're gonna look at verses 19 and 20. Verse 19, <clears throat> for I, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I, I can't come to the scripture without kind of being impacted by it because to use that example of crucifixion is such an intense one to use. We know what crucifixion was, being nailed to a stake, and that Paul would use that to make the point that that is what we are to have done in our lives with the old man uh, is, I think, clearly very important, but also points to the difficulty of dying and the pain that the old man uh, endures, so to speak, in that death. I think we can all say it's not easy to die. It's not easy to get rid of that old man And he goes on to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So if we think back to that picture of the vine, the main trunk, bringing that life to those branches, which in turn brings that life to the grapes, that's the imagery that we can bear in our minds. But it is Christ who is giving us that very life. Without that, we are not going to grow. We are not going to produce fruit. And he goes on and says, a life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me let's turn to another scripture first Corinthians 6 verse 17 very short scripture here but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit so again we have to unite ourselves can you ask yourself we should ask ourselves a question Am I really at one with God? Am I really at one with Jesus Christ? Have I given myself, my heart, my mind, my soul, all the way over to God and to Jesus Christ? Another scripture, turn please to the book of Romans, chapter eight and verse 10. Romans eight, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. So again, Christ in you, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So we've got life. We're getting those nutrients from God himself, just like the branches get that nutrients or those nutrients from the trunk of the vine, the main vine. Let's turn to another scripture. I didn't have this in my notes. I did warn Mr. Aviles, John 17, verse 20. I think it's worth taking a look at that one. So let me get there myself. John 17, verse 20. Christ again saying I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one as you father are in me we know these scriptures but again I think it's important to review them as you father are in me so God the Father is in Jesus Christ and I in you Christ is in God the Father so that they also may be in us be one in us so again, this, this thought, this connection between God the Father, Jesus Christ, and each of us as Christians that we're getting, we're getting that life through God's Holy Spirit is again rehearsed, repeated here by Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, so that, there's a reason for that, so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's actually a witness that Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father himself. Verse Verse 22, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, so that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. So as I thought about this, and I think perhaps I'm sure some of you have thought this before, what an incredible thing that God is saying to each of us that we have the ability to give ourselves over Jesus Christ and have Christ in us and thus God the Father in us the Holy Spirit of God in us becoming part of God's family becoming like God I mean mean, you start and take go way out into the universe was it Mr. Corbin not again You had that picture of the earth rise take yourself out in space for a moment imagine that the great God in heaven along with his son looking down upon us and all mankind today has said you know what I'm going to myself in you if you'll just yield yourself to me if you'll follow my instructions you'll follow my ways what a mind-blowing thing we talked the graduates today heading out into their uh, new lives or new chapters and the things that they'll experience and the things that they'll pursue but obviously what is greater than having God's spirit in you what's greater than being made like God well I don't think anything and hopefully you'll agree or come to agree. Let's turn to another scripture a a known one, Galatians chapter 5. So we've focused a lot on abiding in Jesus Christ, getting that source of strength through God's spirit in us. Let's talk a bit about the fruit of the spirit. But let's start, first of all, in verse 16. I say then walk in the spirit. So walking is talking about how you conduct yourself, how do you act? Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he goes on, we know this verse 17, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they are contrary to one another. If you are around any time in the body of Christ and try to live your life, there's no truer words than that that you experience. They are contrary and you sometimes you try to do the right thing, you look back five minutes later like, "Oh, I did the wrong thing. How did that happen? That's, and that's because we're facing with this. We're faced with this battle. Verse eighteen: If you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, I thought about that as I was reviewing and preparing this. Do we feel like we're led by the Spirit? Don't uh, get Obviously, I'm not going to ask everyone for a show of hands or ask for an answer there. But I had I asked that of myself, and I think sometimes God works in small, quiet ways. Uh, And maybe it's not as dramatic as the, you know, what happened on the the day of Pentecost, for example. But we can see those, but we probably should be seeing them, perhaps, or maybe we should see them more than we do. But it does say here that we should be led by it, which is something we should, in one sense, see and feel and experience. Let's go down to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In verse 24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, which we talked about earlier. In verse 25, if you live in the spirit, let's walk in the spirit. So we, we've 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 rehearsed, rehearsed this multiple times, but at this point, I want I want to stop, and I want to try my best. I've I've basically called out some. Uh, definitions or explanations of what is behind the meanings there's nine nine elements of the fruit of the Spirit here and I've taken some time to try to call out from the concordances and the lexicons, etc kind of summarize what really seemed to jump out to me to try to get the richness or the appeal or the desirability of this fruit of the Spirit and hopefully uh, share it in a way that uh, it's helpful. Uh, but before I do that, I want, I want us actually to go back to the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 4. Now this is a, so, sort of a, I won't say a difficult scripture, but it's, it's, we have to pull the lesson that I'm looking for, the point I'm pulling for, out of a context that's quite different or because it's talking about sin and, and the fact that God is going to have to intervene to punish um, those he's speaking to. So Isaiah 28 verse 4. And the glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valley. Here's the key part. Like the first fruit before the summer, which an observer sees. So imagine you're looking for that first fruit. Some of you have gardens, raised beds, whatever. I know, I do this. You go out there and see: is anything on the tomato vine yet? Are there any peppers or whatever it is you're planted? Here we see they're looking, which an observer sees. He eats it up while it's still in his hand. So he's so excited about this first fruit, it's so appealing to him, he eats it immediately. So that kind of desire, that kind of wow, there it is, I can't wait to try this, is the attitude and the approach I'm trying, hopefully, to express as we read about these elements of the fruit of the Spirit. So let's start, number one, love. So affection or benevolence, it also can mean, in the plural sense, a love feast. Charity, love, pretty straightforward, this particular one. But I think the idea of the love feast obviously makes us think of the annual feast. And I think we can all agree that, generally speaking, when we come together for the feast, it is a time of great rejoicing, it's a time of great happiness. There's just an energy in the air, and there should be love that accompanies that. Joy. And this, I think, is interesting. It is the awareness, I say, of God's grace, being aware of the grace in which we stand. And it is a cheerfulness and it is a calm delight. So I think as we consider that, we, who doesn't want to have some calm delight in their life? Who doesn't want to be aware of God's grace? The third word, peace. This is a, a, a status or a, a place of wholeness when all essential parts are joined together. I have had this feeling a few weeks ago, our youngest son, Clint, who most of the time is in Austin, came home for a visit, and, and I came into the room, and I can't remember why it kind of struck me, but it just struck me all four of us were together again, and there was a sense of wholeness, at least in our, in our immediate family, I'm sure. And your family, as you feel that, if the kids have gone out and everyone comes back together, you, you get this feeling of, every, oh, everything's here, everything's right. And maybe it's that way for us in the church, hopefully it is. Long-suffering. Maybe one of the hardest, at least in my view, uh, of the elements of the fruit to to create or uh, to sustain to demonstrate long suffering, and I, I like the way they uh, express this. It, they say, if in English we had an adjective, long tempered, as a counterpart to short tempered, then this word, the Greek or thymia, I think it is, could be the quality of being long tempered. So when Clearly, someone does something to us that we don't like, does something to us which isn't right, which sometimes happens. Are we able to be and show that long suffering? Is our temper slow to ignite? I think is the the picture that was from FF Bruce's commentary on Galatians, if you want to look that up. Kindness, Now, this I thought was also quite interesting. Uh, We know generally what the word kindness means, but what do they say here? It is well fit for use what is really needed, meeting real needs in God's way, in his timing, or his fashion. So it's not just that you, oh, you know, I really meant well, oh, it doesn't work out. It means that you get it right. If someone, I don't know, simple, clearly it's pretty simple if someone's struggling with a bunch of heavy bags and you open the door, that's helping at the right time, right? But sometimes it's a little more challenging than that. But I think that added background is helpful as we consider these fruits and producing them and bearing them in our life. Goodness, we we just heard about some of this in in a mostly physical sense, I suppose, but goodness means to excel in any respect, distinguished and good. As I heard all the uh, accomplishments of all of our high school graduates, I thought, well, I'm glad they're not reading my high school accomplishments. Uh, A a lot of neat things, a lot of... uh, uh, great accomplishments from those of you in the high school class for this year, and congratulations to you for your hard work. But it means to excel in any respect. I think if we all take a moment and we think about people that we know, who we know are really good at something, you just sometimes you're just like, wow, he's good at that, she's really good at that. And it's, you know, it's, I would say it's inspiring, it's encouraging, and it's certainly noteworthy. And I think that's the idea behind this word goodness, which sometimes can be a little bland, perhaps. Gentleness, again, what does that mean? Well, it's just being nice, not, not being rough, not being brusque, whatever. Uh, but they explore it, expand it, and they say it is, it is the ability to express power. So it's not just being soft and, you know, well, it's expressing power with reserve and gentleness. Well, that's that, that's, that's a, I'm about to say a skill. It's actually a fruit, of course, part of the fruit of God. But, and God is that way. God is ever merciful with us but he does it in very kind ways and very patient ways as well. So as we go through this, I hope this is expanding and helpful as you you consider the fruit of the spirit. The last one, number nine, self-control. And maybe this is kind of a cap fruit, so to speak. It's the ability to master yourself and not just do that, but to protect others. So whatever issues that we have in our life that we struggle with, certainly sometimes when you're, maybe you're in a pressure, pressure-packed moment, you're at work and uh, you know, someone's asking you questions. I, I think of a article I read years ago in the church's publications. I think there was a picture that went along with it which kind of drove home the point. Uh, there was a man down on his knees praying. Maybe some of you remember this. And his young son, maybe a four- or five-year-old, comes up to him. And he's asking him a question, and the father responds, go away, kid, I'm praying. You know, sometimes we're so intense in the moment that we lose perspective of what it is that we're even doing. And so the idea here is to be in control and not to, oh, what kind of picture does that, did that paint to the young boy? Like I'm busy praying. You're, you're bugging me, right? Maybe that's what Christ was trying to get across to the apostles when he said, let the little children come to me. So those, that's an expansion, um, an exploration of the fruit of the Spirit. Again, we're supposed to produce that fruit and we do that by abiding in Jesus Christ. But maybe as we begin to wrap up here today, oh, good news, he's wrapping up. Uh, he's almost done. Uh, maybe sometimes when we look at our life, we ask ourselves a question. In fact, you can ask yourself right now. Don't answer it out loud. Do you see a lot of fruit in your life? Do you see as much fruit as you'd like to see, when you think about the nine elements of the fruit of the spirit that we just talked about, or components, whatever they are exactly, do you see those? And if so, why? Why is it that maybe we don't see as much as we'd like? Well, I took this dropping back to fruit and uh, botany. Uh, here are some answers in terms of in, in, in a literal sense. Uh, the title of this is "Why Are There No Grapes?" So, change it to "Why." Are, are not as much fruit in my life as I'd like. Here's one, and this I think is actually instructive. The vine is too young. In general, and this, again talking about a grapevine, your vine will not produce grapes until it is at least three years old. I guess, you know, As a father, I can say sometimes perhaps I'm in too big of a hurry for my sons to produce a certain fruit that I desire to see. Sometimes it's the fruit in others that we are focused on. Uh, But certain, maybe sometimes we look at the brother and we're like, where's the fruit? What's going on with that guy? What's going on with that girl? Maybe it's just the time isn't there yet. That vine, that particular branch, if you will, in the vine, I should say, is just under development. It needs a bit more time to come to life and to produce that. Here's another, as I go through this, I'm reminded we have some gardeners in here. We have at least one master gardener uh, that I know of, so maybe I'll get some more clarity on how this works afterwards. We've given it too much fertilizer. Or another way of saying it is, you things are out of balance. Uh, this goes on to say, if you've given your grapevine too much nitrogen fertilizer, it can result in lush growth of foliage and no fruit. I, I have a new saying, there's a saying in Texas, goes like this, all hat, no cattle. My saying is, all plant, no fruit. That's, that's been the situation with my tomatoes for the last few years. But they're pointing out you can have a lot of growth but something's out of balance, and they go on to say that maybe there's too much nitrogen and not enough phosphorus. So what does that mean spiritually? Well, maybe we spend, sometimes we all have our things that we, uh, we have proclivities, maybe we spend all our time reading and we never talk to anybody. We come to church, we sit down, uh, and it's not meant to be a criticism, but you know, we have these things that we struggle with. Oh, I love to read God's word, I read it all the time, it's five hours a day, but I don't talk to anybody. Well, that's not very balanced. Maybe that's why the fruit isn't as great as you'd like to see. Here's a third reason. There's not enough sunlight from improper pruning. Grapevines vines need full sun all over for a full harvest. Overgrown, unpruned tops block sunlight from reaching areas of the vine. You must prune properly. God, again, is the one who does the pruning for the sun to reach the vines and to promote air circulation. So perhaps, and we, Mr. Salyer, in fact, talked about this on the Day of Pentecost. He said, let there be light. So here we're hearing that you need light. God is light, he lives in an approachable light, and simply the message is we clearly need to be spending time with God to receive that light. And the fourth reason why is pest and disease. So we know what that correlates to, Satan, self, and society as we sometimes refer to it in a simple summarized form. Just like a grapevine, if those things are active in our lives, and they can be preventing the growth of the fruit we'd like to see and don't seem to see. So as we get near the very, very end, I'll share four tips on growing spiritual fruit. Number one, be patient with your children, other brethren, and even yourselves. Uh, I I can speak personally that sometimes I thought, man, why, why haven't I overcome this particular issue? Seems like this has been going on for a long time. Well, I think, thinking to the analogy of the grapevine, some things do take a while. That's not to say you give up, that's not to say you quit trying, but maybe the reality is it just takes a bit of time. Number two, be balanced spiritually as we talked about a moment ago. Don't just read your Bible for five hours a day and never talk to anyone. Don't, you know, don't fail to or don't fail too, uh, meditate, don't fail too fast, you get the idea. Uh, So being out of balance, and I think Mr. Jones spoke to this subject about a month ago as well, being in balance spiritually is also important. And I've already talked about the light, Mr. Salyer, as I said, talked about that in his sermon, and we have to let God into our life and get that light from his word. And of course, as I said again, we must stay away from Satan and Satan's thoughts, his temptations in society, in our own inclinations to do things that are not of God. And that is, our, those are the four tips for growing spiritual fruit. So as I conclude, with apologies to James Taylor, here's my new verse, or at least a few verses, or one verse. Summer's here, I'm for that. Got my summer fruit, got my straw hat. It's my favorite time of the year, I'm glad that it's here.